Hello, my lovely rich girls. Welcome back to another episode of the Money with Katie podcast. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm pretty sick of the fact that I don't have a catchy jingle. So stay tuned. I think I think we can figure something out. I think there's maybe some um, impending news that you should keep an ear out for. But all that to say, hopefully this podcast is about to really get leveled up. But in the meantime, I have an episode for you today that I wrote on kind of a whim after an interesting experience. If you follow along on Instagram, you probably know what I'm referring to. And I'll tell you all about the experience, all the replies I heard, the conversation that ensued in the episode. But just know that in today's episode, we're really going to focus on some of the bigger philosophical and psychological questions about money, financial freedom, what freedom even means, what financial freedom even means, this weird obsession in the financial independence community of like pretending to be poor, question mark? I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but it did come up in the conversation and I think it's worth talking about because it kind of highlights the inherent, "Ah, do I want to use the P word? Yeah, the inherent privilege in conversations about wealth and financial planning. So I also know though that a lot of you like to listen to this podcast because you told me for the deep dives and the numbers and kind of those more hairy explanations of financial topics. So stick around to the end because at the end, I'm going to give you a formula or a methodology for calculating what your pie in the sky more money than you could ever need number really is. And that number, I think, is going to give you a sense for how to rationally approach, mathematically approach this question, rather than relying on emotion, which I think is what most of us do. So enjoy the episode. I would love to know what you think. Remember, you can always email me at podcast at moneywithkatie.com. Okay, here we go. So the other night, I posted what I thought was a straightforward question to money twitter i should have known better the question was how much money would you need either in net worth or in income to stop worrying about things like the price of food on a menu or the cost of a plane ticket so i was expecting a slew of numbers that ran the gamut Especially since I only name-dropped a few relatively innocuous examples. I figured the majority of the answers were going to be in the, I don't know, like 5 to 10, 2 to $5 million range. Because I wasn't asking, like, how much do you think you would need to feel like you could compete with Bezos in his next yacht race, right? But the replies shocked me. They were things like, never, never. No amount would ever get me to stop price comparing. Um, I'm too cheap. I would never stop caring about the prices. Wait, what? (laughs) I thought you would never stop price comparing? There is no pie in the sky number that you can call out right now that would allow you to feel free enough to buy the steak on the menu with market written next to the price. It's not like this number has to actually be any level of like realistic or attainable, right? Like they could have said a billion dollars. We were playing in the land of monopoly money where the rules are made up and the points don't matter. But no, 
On some level, I understand the heart of what these people were trying to suggest. You know, they're intentional. They're too reasonable and too attached to value. They don't want to get ripped off. But in this staunch display of devotion to frugality, they inadvertently admitted something else. That they might be missing the point of building wealth and striving for financial freedom entirely. So let's talk about this bizarre obsession with frugality and with what somebody so keenly called playing poor. So naturally, when I post this question and nobody responded in the way that I thought they were going to, I felt attacked by the lack of willingness to play along. So I did what any good influencer would do. And I swiped over to Instagram where I knew that I would find some rich girls who would throw numbers out there and entertain the question. One reply I received highlighted something that I had never considered before. This is a quote. There's some strange fascination of playing poverty in the fire community. I don't know. Kind of like cultural appropriation, but for class. Obviously, they're not impoverished. They are investing and have hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yet they keep annual budgets of 20000 or less. But they can only afford to live on so little in many cases because they already have the wealth and the privilege that they need to do so. Like a paid off house or being able to shop at Costco and buy things in bulk when they're on sale versus only being able to afford little bits at a time. Now, this is me speaking. I have to admit, I personally was totally forged in the fire, so to speak. I am a recovering ultra frugal person and I always joke that this has been my hedonic pendulum that I went from being overly materialistic to overly frugal and now I'm trying to meander back to the middle without backsliding. So I understand the appeal of the ultra frugal mindset. It's almost akin to the monastery mindset in the sense that it's kind of exhilarating and freeing to feel as though you need very little to survive and to be content. It has its upsides for sure and it's powerful when you start out in the lower middle income range like I did because it enables you to still shovel money into these investment accounts despite you know not having a very high income. So in short, I get it. I get it. But there's a certain strain of this type of parlance that feels a little bit problematic. And I think this reply really nailed it. Playing poverty. Another reply noted that as someone who grew up in abject poverty, that it was insulting to see people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars per year or have millions in the bank openly bragging about being super cheap. She said, it's all fun and games when you're doing it by choice. But when you're doing it out of survival because you have no other choice, mm. many people who buy the cheapest food, clothing, and housing available to them are doing so because they have no other option. That's the quote. So they can't press the 24 karat gold eject button and ditch the rice and beans for organic produce and an expensive visit to the doctor's office if things go wrong. And You know, there's something to be said for being able to subsist on very little, but how many times have you seen tweets that follow the framework where it's like, 
checking account, $200. Brokerage account, $200,000. And then the quote says, I can't, I'm broke. I understand the sentiment totally, but imagine being someone who is actually poor reading that. Someone who does not know how they're going to pay rent next week. Looking at somebody who has hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank and is making a joke about how poor they are because there's only a couple hundred in the checking account. So the shitty part is that I know I am personally guilty of engaging in this type of behavior. When I first discovered financial independence, I remember bargain hunting like my life depended on it. And I took pride in it too. It never occurred to me at the time that by going to the thrift stores and by buying the super cheap pieces of clothing from the thrift store by choice, that I was taking that opportunity, that piece of clothing from someone who might actually have needed that item by default because I was stockpiling the money that I did have and I wanted to spend as little as possible. So all that aside, being ultra frugal is used as a means to an end, especially when taken to the extreme, like becoming wealthy enough to become work optional. That's obviously taking it to an extreme. Working hard is also often used as a means to an end when taken to the logical extreme, and that's earning more money than you could ever need. Most of the people in the personal finance blogging world, myself included, have by definition taken it to the extreme. Like this website is called Money with Katie. Everything about this is extreme. But what if being work optional and having more money than you could ever need still weren't enough to make you feel like you could relax a little bit. The, the big headline here, the question that I'm trying to pose and get us all to think about is, what's the point of attaining wealth if you are never permitted to feel the freedom that it can provide you? So let's take that playing poor thing to the extreme too. You know, you're wearing frugality like a dollar store badge of honor despite having enough wealth many times over to be decidedly not frugal anymore. Because that's what's at the heart of the question, right? Like, when would you feel as though you didn't have to worry about money anymore without looking at the prices? If the answer is categorically never because your identity becomes frugality and value hunting, wouldn't it have been easier and more logical to just merely do and earn the bare minimum you needed to survive all along? This is where the whole barista fire philosophy, the, the idea that, you know, you live frugally and you just work enough to cover your basic needs hilariously starts to look a whole lot like what 90% of Americans just refer to as regular life and work. When I think about the amount of bullshit that I have done to make more money, like work two real jobs at once while I was starting my own business, maintaining three side hustles at a time while truly obliterating my social life, negotiating like my life depended on it, allowing myself to be, you know, jerked around in the in a bunch of different changes, trying to find the best, highest earning situation. I have to wonder if I can't enjoy the fruits of that labor and I'm just going to live the exact same lifestyle that I lived when I worked one job and made $50,000 per year, then why do it at all? Why not just continue to work the one job that can support the lifestyle that you're going to live indefinitely anyway? So sure, you can sit here and say, and this is probably the, the pushback that I would have offered if you would have 
you know, come to me with these these points a year or two ago. Well, you know, it's about financial freedom. But even that is a farce. It's like the if a tree falls in the woods but nobody hears it thing. If you're financially free but you don't feel or act like it, are you actually free? Like, what does freedom even mean? Is it a number in the bank? Is it a mindset? And if it's a mindset, is it within your control? So let's talk about what financial freedom means. The slippery and obvious reality is that there is no one definition that's going to work for everybody. It is highly subjective. And that was the point of the original question that I posed. How much would you need to have to never worry about the price of something again? can be loosely translated to how much money do you need to feel free of financial concern? So that's the key. You have to be able to define for yourself what that means. And if the definition changes, fine. Like, I'd be surprised if it didn't. But we only get one shot at life. And I don't really think that I any longer want to spend mine price comparing purchases if they have literally no bearing on my financial health or future just for the sake of adhering to this religious frugality that I've adopted as my identity. So one popular rebuttal that came up throughout this discussion was the idea that it's wasteful to not be concerned with the price of something. But by definition, you can only waste what is limited. If you are in a position, again, hypothetically, we are playing a big game of what if in this scenario, where money is, for all intents and purposes, unlimited to you via the magic number that you have chosen, you can't waste it. Like, imagine me sitting here taking breaths, and I start taking really deep breaths. I'm using a lot of oxygen. Would you say, oh my gosh, you're being so wasteful? Uh, No, because the oxygen in the room is unlimited within reason. The The breath that I am inhaling and exhaling, nobody would ever look at that and be like, oh my gosh, she's breathing so deeply, that's so wasteful, or how unthoughtful. You can only waste what's actually limited. And there comes a tipping point where you have much more money than you have time, where it becomes more wasteful to spend time, the limited lesser resource protecting the money the unlimited, more infinite resource. So let's explore an example of how I like to think about proof that money can be unlimited. So think about it like this. Think about Warren Buffett. He's 91 years old. He has $109 billion. $109 billion is a kind of wealth that is hard to fathom. Do you think Warren Buffett would think twice about exchanging some of that wealth to get another decade of his life back, to go back in time. How much do you think he would pay to be 40 years old again? My guess is he would give close to all of it because his life is almost over and he cannot take that money with him. He has more money than any one person could ever feasibly spend in a hundred lifetimes. And what do you think he cherishes more? Each passing day that he wakes up with breath in his lungs or the hundred billion dollars that he has in the bank? Which do you think he feels more protective of and would sacrifice one of to get more of the other? So I don't think any of us, sadly, will ever come even remotely close to Buffett's net worth. But it does prove the point that theoretically there should be an amount of money that would make you laugh 
at the thought of ever wasting another iota of energy on finding the best deal. It's different for everyone, and I do think that young people have a harder time conceptualizing what that number could be because we feel so time-rich right now. I'm 27. I have all the time in the world to scour the internet for discount codes and to DIY my own haircuts, right? Money feels much scarcer to me than time, which means that I'm right now willing to trade the thing I feel like I have more of, time, to get the thing that I feel like I have less of, money. But remember, that is just a feeling. At the end of the day, I can always make more money, but I can never make more time. And the real danger, I think, is when you get stuck in that mindset. And that's the thing that I think we saw in the Twitter replies and in some of the messages I received where people who were literally already at five were saying that they would not feel comfortable not price comparing or trying to get the best deal. It's like the years pass before your eyes and you're still at 60 years old calculating the price per ounce of Fuji apples versus Gala apples when you have $4 million in the bank instead of paying someone else to buy and deliver your groceries for you so you can spend your day doing whatever you want. And hey, if you like grocery shopping, great. But the point stands that at some point, you will have more money than time left in your life. And when you do, you don't want to forget which one of those resources is actively running out and unable to be replenished. So I think what this whole thing comes down to, the foundation of this question, I think it comes down to fear. Another way I conceptualize it is how much money would you need to not be afraid of ever running out? And that's why my personal number is so outlandishly high. I picked $100 million because it's that number at which I know I would would never worry about money ever again because I know that I could never feasibly spend enough even if I were actively trying to deplete the principal balance assuming it were invested. Why? Because it's still me. It's still me. and I know myself. I know that even if I were living lavishly, I would not be reckless. Now, notice that this question isn't expressly asking about happiness or fulfillment or life satisfaction, but how quickly it morphs into a conversation about those things the second we start to dig into it. A lot of replies that I received pointed out that having that much money wouldn't make someone feel any happier, to which I would say, "Eh, you may be underestimating money's ability to improve your life, but remember, that wasn't the question. We're not talking about happiness. The question is about alleviating fear, and that's where basic financial tools can help contextualize just how extreme an answer like $100 million is. Because $100 million invested... For example, sloughs off $4 million in returns every year without ever depleting the principal. That is a monthly income of more than $300,000 per month. $300,000 per month. You're telling me that you wouldn't stop paying attention to the price of oat milk at Starbucks or guacamole at Chipotle with $300,000 per month of infinite indefinite income. So part of the problem, I think, is that some of these ginormous numbers in this exercise as we talked about it, they're hard to conceptualize. Like if I told you I was going to give you $100,000, you probably have a pretty good sense of what $100,000 means, like what it feels like, what it can unlock for you. But $100 million? 
that's a scale that most of us are just not familiar with. So it almost means nothing emotionally. So breaking it down into what it could provide, like $300,000 per month, for example, forever, that helps us start to wrap our heads around it. And I have a feeling that even the folks who claimed that they would never stop price comparing would probably get pretty tired of it pretty quickly when they started to notice that every single day they got $10,000 more into their checking account. Like, you know, three days passed and you got another 30K, you'd probably be like, meh, yeah, I'm gonna buy the steak, who cares? I would guess that even the most lavish life that you can imagine wouldn't cost anywhere close to $300,000 per month. Someone mentioned that the difference between price comparing produce and price comparing luxury SUVs, for example, is a very different scale. But a number like $100 million, that dwarfs just about every price comparison except maybe jets and yachts. Ever seen that visualization of the scale of like the sun and the solar system and it zooms out from Earth to the rest of the solar system to the sun to the bigger stars and it kind of reminds you like, holy shit, everything is so tiny. That's kind of how it feels in my brain. Like when you're standing on Earth, the difference between a small hill, the produce and Mount Everest, the luxury SUV seems massive. But when you're the sun, if you're a hundred million dollars, they both look impossibly small. This, you know, the difference in scale is kind of irrelevant. So I think what this kind of breaks down to in the TLDR here is that you have to define what it is you actually want before you set out on the journey to get it. Like realistically, I know that I don't actually want $100 million. I mean, if someone offered it to me, I would take it, but it's not my goal. It wouldn't make sense for that to be my goal because it's exponentially more than I need to live the life that I want to. Like think about it from the standpoint of land or of a house. Maybe the the most luxurious, nicest home that you could imagine living in is 10,000 square feet. Would your goal then be 100,000 square feet? No, because you're like, I don't, uh, that's just so wildly, ludicrously beyond what I need that I, why would I make that the goal? So when I think about the most ridiculous, lavish life that I could imagine personally, I think I would have a hard time spending more than $300,000 to $350,000 per year on my own. That's about $30,000 per month, by the way, before taxes. And I bet I could burn up $30,000 a month if I was just like really leaning into an expensive lifestyle. Again, this is really, really trying to spend a lot. Like multiple fancy cars, a really fancy house, lots of trainers and assistants and chefs and you know, you name it. Stuff I probably would never actually buy or even want. But to have $350,000 per year indefinitely, I would need less than $10 million total invested. So maybe the real retirement goal, the upper limit is between five and $10 million, much beyond that. And I'm gonna have more money than I know what to do with. And it's kind of like, well, you're you're diminishing returns. Why keep working for more money if you've got more than you could ever need? So, I digress. It helps to contextualize a number with a lifestyle. And at that point, you could easily cut back and trim, especially when you consider that 
in this example, like my annual spend right now is $40,000. It would be almost 10 times as much as I'm spending now. And I just don't even think I could scale that up even if I tried. It's worth identifying whether or not your lifestyle goals require much money at all. So I remember going through a goal setting exercise for my income a few months ago and After consistently earning $30,000 per month for a few months, I changed my goal and I said, okay, well, I want to earn $50,000 per month. The person in the workshop with me pressed on it and was like, well, why? Like what type of lifestyle upgrade would $50,000 per month provide for you? And I was stunned. I didn't know how to answer the question. I didn't even know why it was the goal. It just seemed like the next logical place to go. So after talking through it with the group, I realized that a better goal that more accurately represented what I wanted was to make the same amount of money so I could keep investing heavily, but to get about half the time back. So to make the same amount of money, but in half the time versus I'll, you know, work the same amount or work more, but I want to make more. It kind of was an amazing question and pushback from this person to be like, well, why do you even want that much money? And I had to say, you know what? I I don't like I rarely spend more than four or five thousand dollars per month. I definitely don't need 50. My lavish life had less to do with the money that I could spend and more to do with the time that I could reclaim. So what is your number? That's what I want to ask you. How do you start to think about this? And I would say in order to come up with something that you think is actually rooted in reason and not just emotion, because I think the emotion is where we tend to get into trouble, especially if you've got some money hangups that you need to work through where you're you're sitting here and you're tempted to be like, I don't think there's any amount of money that I could possibly have that would make me feel comfortable. Think about it on a monthly basis. Like think about how much you spend now and then think about, $30,000 a month, $40,000 a month. Like what would that lifestyle look like? How would it change? Or reverse into it and say, if I could design my ideal life, like, you know, the most lavish life that I could imagine, start throwing some generous figures at each line item, come up with something, then take that monthly figure, multiply it by 12, and that'll tell you how much it would cost in a year, And then from there, multiply it by 25, which will tell you what will give you a safe withdrawal rate of 4%. So if you have a $25,000 a month lifestyle, then that costs $300,000 per year times 25 is $7.5 million. So theoretically, your I would never worry about it again price should be $7.5 million because at that rate, you can live the lavish $25,000 a month lifestyle indefinitely and not run out of money. Remember, it's still you. So it's not like you're gonna go crazy and buy a fleet of matte black velvet Lamborghinis, but it is worth knowing that maybe the ultimate, most insane, lavish, luxurious lifestyle you could imagine is a little bit more in reach than you would have thought. And it's kind of nice to define that for yourself up front because It's not outside the realm of possibility that if you are a relatively frugal person, maybe not an extremely frugal person, but someone who's not going buck wild, 
and you're a high earner and you're investing pretty heavily for a couple decades, having seven and a half million dollars is actually not that outside the realm of possibility. It's probably closer than you think. So I would say ask yourself that question. If you immediately felt like, oh, well, I don't think there's ever a point at which that would be the case, maybe that's worth digging into too. And I don't want to surmise. I know that there are plenty of reasons why somebody would feel scarce around money, right? Like depending on how you grew up. But I would just pick at that or poke at that and say, does the way that you grew up or the mindset that you grew up with have to necessarily define the mindset that you spend the rest of your life with? Or... If you're self-aware enough to recognize it, does that mean that it's something that you could potentially work to change? And sometimes I think starting to see some of these numbers can provide that for you. All right, y'all. That's it for another episode of the Money with Katie podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, for listening, for listening to the very end. Honestly, I know it's a, a long time to listen to one person's voice, but like I said, Keep your ears peeled. I think you're going to be excited if you're a listener of this podcast to some of the changes that are to come, including jingles and and a little bit of a, um, a glow up for the format of the show. But until then, you're just going to have to deal with my $50 microphone and my, uh, solo dolo garage band editing skills. And I think that that's okay for now, right? We're being frugal. (laughs) We're being cheap. All right, y'all, I'll see you next time. Happy Wednesday.